The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we are continuing our Christmas series, um, just thinking about peace. And uh, in a way, we're echoing kind of the message, right, of the angels. What did they say? Luke 2.14, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible other than don't judge me. (laughs) (laughs) Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when Jesus came, he brought peace, right? Somehow, some way. But we've admitted there's some irony when we talk about peace on earth at Christmas, mostly because as we look at the earth, there isn't a lot of peace on earth. And the Bible writers weren't fools, right? The the baby who was born came in peace. He got crucified. And so uh, we know that um, this peace on earth thing isn't an easy button for all people at all times in all the same ways. Uh, and And we see that we lack peace on many levels, right? There's the macro level, Nations, politics, race, class, on and on to the micro level. This is the part that's probably bothering you today. Uh, A lack of peace in your relationships, whether it's at work or friends or family. Isn't family sometimes the hardest place to find peace? How much more in our hearts? You ever have a hard time sleeping at night? No peace. Okay, that's next week, peace in our hearts. So that's a, that's a trailer, a teaser. Come back. So peace on earth, how do we actually get in on this? How do we get on this? How do we taste this? We saw last week that peace on earth starts with peace with God. That's where it starts, Romans 5.1, right? Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea here, I'm a sinner, I'm rebellious, I've had hostility towards God in my heart. He's just, he's holy, he owes me just wrath. Through Jesus Christ, I can be made right with God by trusting in him. And so now there's peace. The wrath is gone because I'm forgiven. Jesus took it for me. My enmity is gone because he's changing my heart. I know him and love him as a father. We have peace with God. And just by the way, that's the core thing, right? No matter how much peace you feel right now, if you don't have peace with God, you're not really gonna have peace. No matter how awful things are for you right now, if you have peace with God, you can make it. It'll be good for you one day, right? So this is core peace, first peace with God. But second, today, we are gonna be thinking about peace among ourselves. Peace in community, So the question is, how can we enjoy God's peace in a local church community? How can we enjoy it in uh, our closer relationships, especially when um, we're Christians in those relationships? How can you enjoy more peace in your family? Um, Is this an important question for you? Do you ever ever need more of that? Or are you just like, hey, that's easy for me. Never have conflict in my closest relationships. Is there anybody like that? Please write a book for us, okay? And we'll invite you to teach us everything. Um, No, of course, we need, we constantly need to be seeking God's peace in our communities. And if you, even if you read through these New Testament texts, how many of them are pushing on peace? The church was facing, same thing as us. 
Uh, they've got slaves and masters in a Greco-Roman society in the same community. Is that going to cause conflict? They've got Jew and Gentile trying to figure things out in the same community. Is that going to cause conflict? They've got rich and poor in the same community. Is that going to, and on and on and on. Different convictions about what to eat and when and how much and how to apply. Are there all these things that they have to work through for how to have peace together? So we see, hey, peace it's not easy. It doesn't come naturally. It's hard, but it's something that we should be pursuing as God's people. And not only that, it's something that we should expect as God's people. We should expect. In Jesus Christ, we're going to see today, you've already been given the gift of peace. You just need to open it. You need to live in it. So you, know, you think of uh, biblical expectations on peace. You read the New Testament, are we supposed to believe that the whole world will be at peace right now in this time of history? No, why would you believe that? The Bible never promises that. Um, but are you also, is the expectation different for a Christian community? Okay, we could get so anxious about the lack of peace out there, but you kinda don't have a whole lot to do with that. It's a little bit bigger than you. But the peace that we can have, that we should shine with as God's people, that's ours and we, we can move forward in this. So the question is how, and that's what this text is all about. So we're gonna be in Colossians 3. Uh, Paul is pushing the Colossians to grow in their peace and their relationships. Two things I wanna say about this text before we get into it. Number one, this is what I would call a ripple text. That is not a theological term. If you look in a theological dictionary, you won't find that. I'm kind of making this up. It's a ripple text, okay? Imagine you go hiking, you're standing by a beautiful pond, and you see a ripple in the pond. Do you think, wow, this is such a, a ripply pond? You know something about that ripple. What, why is it there? Well, somebody, a rock got thrown in or something, and it made waves. Peace in a community is a ripple effect of something else. You have to understand the something else before you can really live out the peace in the community. So we wanna grab onto that. What's, what's the rock that got thrown into the water that enables this peace to be real, that enables us to do it? Second thing, this is a marinating text. It's also an idea I'm making up. This is a marinating text. Okay, so if you want your food to taste good, sometimes at the very last moment, you're like, oh, I forgot seasoning. Okay, fine. But if you really wanna get the flavor down low, what do you need to do? You need to marinate it. It's gotta sit in it over time. The flavor goes all the way through. So, so here's what I mean. If you've been a Christian for very long, there's nothing I'm gonna say in this text where you're like, really? You know, there's no huge surprises like, hey, y'all should love one another. <laughs> that came out of left field. Love one another? No, of course. You know that, okay? As I was looking at my computer documents, I think I've preached from this text like four or five times. And so I know this text. I know it real well. And yet as I look at what my life is supposed to look like, what it really means to rely on Jesus in this way, what it really means for our relationships. I don't know this text at all. Or I sort of know it. I know, but I don't know it. 
So this is a marinating text. This might be totally old hat to you. And if you're like, oh, I know this, then why is there still not peace in your relationships? Because you don't know it. You know it, but you don't know it. So we gotta marinate in it, you know what I'm saying? It's gotta like sink in us a little more. So here's what I want you to do as we walk through it, because there's a lot of stuff in here. I want you to hang on to that rock that changes everything. I, if we don't do that, you, you can't move forward with the rest. So I really want you to grab on that rock that changes everything. And then I want you to pick one or two things. The way the, maybe God's speaking to you, the may, maybe the way the ripple should affect your life. Okay, because if you try to do everything here in this passage, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hydrant a little bit. I want you to think about your own church community, relationships with others, your family, your, your pursuit of God's peace, and grab onto one or two things that you want to put into practice this week, all right? So a ripple text, let's find the rock that starts at a marinating text. Take something, press it down. Paul's talking to the, to the Colossians. They'd converted to Jesus out of paganism, polytheism. They were tempted to be distracted by all these philosophies. Paul's main thing in this letter is look to Jesus. He's preeminent, he's ultimate, he's everything. He's the son of God. You can't get higher, you can't get better. For everything, he's the rock that causes the ripple. Look at Jesus. By chapter three, Paul is making the implications of identity in Christ so practical, so practical. And that's what we're looking at today. So I wanna see three things. Power for peace, the power to have peace, it's kind of embracing that rock. Number one, remember who you are. The power for peace is to remember who you are. Number two, the practice of peace. So Paul, the, the illustration he uses is wear the right clothes, okay? I used a marination illustration. He's using a, wear, a fashion statement, okay? Wear the right clothes. What are they? Well, it's Jesus' character to you leaking out through you. Wear the right clothes, it's the practice of peace, Jesus' character to you, leaking out through you, or the flavor of Jesus in you, and people taste it. Number three, the source of peace. We have to have an authority to enable peace possible. Look to the leader. So remember who you are, wear the right clothes, look to the leader. You ready? Here we go. Number one, the power for peace. Colossians 3.12. Everybody there with me? Colossians 3.12. I'm gonna read the first phrase, and then I want you to read the next phrase. You ready? Verse 12. Put on then, and what comes next? As God's chosen ones. Read the next one too. Holy and beloved. Do you see what's happening? He wants you to wear certain clothes, live a certain way, and his reason for it is, why? It's because of who you are. What did he call you? Chosen holy, and beloved. Now let's just think about that word, holy. Here's what's so interesting. You look at Colossians 3, and from verses 5 to 11, it's all a bunch of stuff y'all need to quit doing. Okay? 5 to 11, read it later, it's all a bunch of stuff you need to quit doing. Why does he say that to this church? I'm gonna imagine it's because some of them were doing it. You need to stop doing this. Some of you are doing this. Or at least your old life, you're tempted to do this. Then in our text today, 12 to 17, hey, y'all need to do this more. You need to do this more. You need to forgive one another. Why is he saying that? 
Maybe because some people there aren't doing it. Do you see? The community is made up of flawed people. They're doing stuff they shouldn't, and they're not doing stuff they should. Yeah? And so then he gives them what we would call the law, like the standards. Hey, quit doing that. Start doing this. You guys are familiar with that, right? Your mom has been giving that to you since you were born. Stop doing that. Start doing this. And so you could think then, okay, the way I'm going to start doing this is I'm going to try harder. Or I'm going to feel guilty. And then one day, if I just do it good enough, I'll finally get to holy and beloved. Right? I would finally be holy if I did this more. And I'd finally be loved if I did this more. And here's where Colossians just kind of blows your mind. No, you're not doing, you're doing things you shouldn't. You're not doing what you should. And here's the power to start doing it. What does he call them? He called them holy. And yet in the chapter, we've holy. They're doing what they shouldn't. They're not doing what they should. How can he call them holy when they're not functionally, practically holy? Right? This is one of these things that makes Christianity so precious, so unique. It's different than any other religions. Next time one of your friends give you, hey, all the religions are the same, you're like, no. Here's why. I, it seems like everything out there is like, if you just work hard enough, be good enough, earn it enough, you'll finally make it to this level of accepted, wonderful significance. Work hard and you can make it. Christianity is way more realistic. And they're like, Christianity says, you know what? The standard is so big and so high. <laughs> you making it on your own. Not gonna happen. How is it that we're holy then? This is how, look at Colossians 2, 21 to 22. Colossians 2, 21 to 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, that's Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. The thing that makes you holy, first and foremost, is not your performance. You still don't believe me. The thing that makes you holy, first and foremost, is not your performance. It's what Jesus Christ did for you in your place. Theologians talk about the passive obedience of Christ. On the cross, he took the just wrath that God has for our sins, okay? I'm not pushing sins under the rug and saying they're not important. They're more important than we think. But God has, put, has paid out what you deserve on someone else in your place. There's also the active obedience of Jesus. That's that perfect life of love, Always loving his father, always loving his neighbor, always living in purity, holiness, beauty. He did that. He accomplished it. He won, and he gives the trophy to you. So he takes your punishment and gives you the victory as, as a substitute. His life is a substitute for yours. His death is a substitute for yours. So that as you just trust him, right, you put your faith in him, all that he is, is yours. And so in Christ, you know, Paul's just not making stuff up here. 
He says to these people who are doing things they shouldn't and aren't doing things they should, you are right now holy. How can you say that? Because you're connected to Jesus Christ who gave you his perfection and took away your sin. Do you see that? This is an alien holiness that you wear. It's a stranger's holiness. It's what somebody else has done, given to you, and it's yours by faith. You're holy. And now Paul's logic is, do you see it? You should start to be holy because you are holy. The world's ethic is be good, become someone good. The Christian ethic is be good because somebody else has already made you good. You're already holy in Christ, in Christ. And, in, and the, whole, the whole ethic of this text, and I'm pretty sure every New Testament letter is, the only way for you to actually start being good is to treasure that in Christ you already are. Remember who you are. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Those are uh, pictures that come out of God's language to Israel, right? I chose you, you're my chosen people. Who's now chosen by God? It's just this little, little church in Colossae was a bunch of pagans who they converted to Jesus. You're chosen. Hey, folks, is this true of you? Just ponder it for a minute. You're supposed to marinate in this. Marinated it. Did the holy God who made the universe choose you? Does he know your name? You really believe that? Why would, why would he choose you? Did he look out at the, at the universe and go, eh, these people, no, no, no. Oh, there. So obedient. <laughs> no, there's only one who gets that. It's Jesus. <laughs> you didn't deserve to be chosen, but in Christ, by his grace, right? This is love you don't deserve. You ever want to taste grace? Think of his choosing you. Because if he chose you before the foundation of the world, what did you do to earn it? You know, you weren't there yet. You didn't have a world to play in yet. Look at Ephesians 1.4. The Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. See that theme? In what? In love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So you remember in school when nobody would pick you to be on the team? Maybe that's my story. Some of you are like, what? I was always picked first. I don't know what you're talking about. We don't, we don't know about you. For the rest of us who always wanted to get picked, okay? Imagine God picking you. I mean, if you really marinated in that, that God in his grace has chosen you to belong to him, and we see like the, the category you jump into, it's child, it's adoption, I want you to inherit me. You're, so you're not like way out there, I'll, I'll choose you as a you know, third level slave. That's not it. He brings you all the way into the inner circle. I choose you. To be my kid, you know that's true of you if you've trusted Christ. 
That's who you are. It's part of who you are. You're chosen. You're holy. You're set apart. Uh, you're valuable. You're unique. You're, you're to be made pure like him. You're, you're supposed to be like your father now. Love and do what is beautiful and good. Number three, you're beloved. Holy and beloved. F.F. Bruce translates this as um, holy and dear to him. Dear to him. What's it mean to be dear to someone? Can you think of someone who's dear to you? Your heart's kind of connected to them. You really care about how they're doing. You would sacrifice for them. They're valuable to you. They're on your mind often. And Paul is saying that if you're in Christ, this is how God thinks and feels about you. Do you see how massive this rock is that's been thrown into the pond? Jesus has changed everything about who you are if you've trusted in him. And if you want this, you can trust in him right now and this will be true for you. You are now chosen, holy, and loved. So Paul's logic, it's, it's so powerful. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So the reason you can wear these new clothes to the party is because you remember and treasure who you are in Christ, yeah? That's number one. Now let's think about what we're supposed to wear. So these are clothes given to us from Jesus, right? Or this is character given to us from Jesus. Or in Galatians, Paul will call this kind of idea the fruit of the Spirit. When you trust Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit with you, and he's gonna build up in you character like Jesus. This is the way Jesus has approached you, so changing you that it begins to be how you approach others. It's his flavor. Uh, But as we see, as we walk through this, you can't know and experience Jesus by yourself. How many of these things can you do by yourself? What's compassionate heart look like? By yourself. (laughs) Self-pity. I feel for myself. Um, How about forgiving one another? We're pretty good sometimes at forgiving ourselves, but I think this is about other people. Do you see this? This Christian life thing is lived out in community. Can't do this by yourself. So this is a way we then know this ripple effect, right? The rock of Jesus Christ changing me. He becomes everything to me. He becomes everything to you. It changes then how we live together. So here's what he says, the flavor of this gospel in you. I'm gonna put it in four categories, just broader, because it's a list, you know? Um, Try to put it in four categories, it'd be easier to remember. But let's walk through the list. As we do this, I want you to have an eye on how Jesus has treated you in this way, and therefore, because of that, how it should come out of you to others, okay? Start with, first category, kindness. Wear kindness. Taste like kindness, So you see this verse here, put on as God chosen one, holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness. Let's put those together. What's it mean to be compassionate? First of all, even in our study in Luke, what is Jesus' main emotional feeling towards the people? He's full of compassion. So in the the Greek, it means like your guts hurt for somebody. You're thinking about their situation instead of being like, oh, you deserve it, you schmuck which is the way we treat people who aren't as put together. 
if anybody ever had the right to feel that way about people, it would be Jesus. But instead, he feels compassion for their situation, their weakness, and a desire, a hurt, and a desire to change. And that brings in uh, kindness. Kindness, Jerry Bridges says, kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual. That's, that's pretty good. Has Jesus been kind to you? Can you even quite describe it? He would see you in your need and come to you at such, at such lengths to bless you in such ways, to actually make you an heir of the kingdom. I mean, his kindness is overwhelming. That's why you're chosen holy and beloved. How should you then live towards others, especially to others to whom Jesus has been so kind? Kindness. You have compassion for one, or one another. Be kind. We could wrap it up and go home right now. Wouldn't that change your life? If all of a sudden we were the kindest people around to one another in our living rooms? Be kind. First category, second one. Because you are chosen, holy, and beloved, wear humility. That's my second category for you. Humility. Okay, what does he say? Put on then as God's chosen ones. Kindness, humility, next. What is that? What is humility? Humility is so funny because it's easy to be prideful about how humble you are. You ever done that before? Man, I'm so humble. I'm so much more humble than that person. Dang! I just ruined it. Urgh. What is humility? The funny part is, because we talk about humility, we have to look at ourselves, and that starts to be the thing that ruins the humility. Humility is a right understanding of who you are before God. That's where you need to look. It's a right understanding of who you are before God. If you look at other people, you'll be doing the pride insecurity thing. Stop. It's a right understanding of who you are before God, especially as you look at the cross. So what does the cross do with pride? How awesome are you? Okay. How incredibly wonderful and amazing are you? Well, you are so wretched that the only way you're going to be in God's presence is that the Son of God actually has to die on a cross for you. He did not get grounded for you, right? He didn't have to sit in a corner for you. He had to go to a cross for you. So that puts you about as low as low can go. And if you believe that, it's gonna give you great humility because even when everybody's pumping you up, which happens sometimes, if everybody's pumping you up, it's gonna keep you realistic, isn't it? Because you're like, well, I know better. <laughs> Everything I have is from God's grace. I deserve a cross, okay? It breaks your pride. But then you not only see that Jesus had to go to a cross for you, you also see that he was willing to go to a cross for you. Which means even though you're here, you are loved more than you can comprehend. You're loved, you're accepted. You're accepted by God himself, chosen, holy, and beloved. He went to a cross for you. You're, you're loved, we saw last week. God proves his love for, in this, for us in this. While we were sinners, 
Christ died for us. Marinate in this. Because if you know you're loved by God, then what happens when everybody's condemning you, insulting you? Well, you know, you deserve to cross, and you're, well, they don't even know the half of how bad I actually am. But instead of like flailing in insecurity, I've been there before, you can also go, you know what though? I'm loved. I don't have to have their praise. Jesus loves me. He died for me. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm valuable. I'm chosen, holy, and beloved. I'm good. So do you see how this gospel brings a unique humility? Your eyes are yanked off yourself. You don't have to look at yourself and praise yourself, and you don't have to look at yourself and hate yourself. You can look at God who's loved you so much, and that actually begins to set you free. And then instead of pride or insecurity, you can love God and love your neighbor. You can love your neighbor, even when they don't deserve it, because you're pretty sure you didn't deserve it. Put on humility. Put on meekness, Paul says. That goes with humility. I think a, maybe a more helpful translation would have been gentleness. This word probably means gentleness. Gentleness is careful strength. You, know, you see a big, big buff dude holding his little teeny baby. Something like that. He's real careful with his baby. He's strong, but, but he's so gentle. Humility is gentle, or excuse me, gentleness is careful strength. So you don't wanna be reckless with others or uncaring about the consequences. You know, sometimes the way we talk, we're like bulls in a china shop, swinging our horns around. The way we send emails or the way we communicate, whatever it is we communicate, sometimes we're not being careful with our strength because we each have strength, right? We have ways we influence other people and what we say and how we say it, how we interact. And so gentleness is taking care to be humble enough to say, you know what, I wanna, I wanna do this in a way that is helpful and kind and builds up. I think of Ephesians 4.29, because it's such a big deal, especially in communication, right? Isn't that the, maybe the biggest uh, category for needing gentleness? Ephesians 4.29, again, here's another verse that, you know, it'll wreck you, this would be enough for the week. Let's read it together just for fun. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. <laughs> How much would the word count go down on your week? <laughs> Matt, why are you being so quiet? How much corrupting talk should come out of your mouth, making people rust, breaking them down, injuring them, assuming the worst? How much of that? Zero, okay? You wanna build people up. That doesn't mean you don't confront people. Of course it doesn't. Uh, but you build up in a certain way to move them towards Christ. No, that has to fit the occasion. Sometimes you have exactly the right word, wrong time. It's gotta be the right time, and you gotta give grace to those who hear it. Point them to Jesus. Wow. Let's be gentle in how we talk. So we're still in humility, humility, gentleness. Third one, put on patience with one another. Again, think about the gospel. How, how patient has God? I've been a Christian most of my life. I'm 42 years old now, and this is all I have to show for it, folks. And it's taken a long time to get here. And when I look at it that way, I just think of God's patience. 
I'm changing, but it's a, it's a slow burn sometimes, right? Slow burn. And you think, especially if you're an adult convert to Christ, you can feel it. You know, what if Jesus had come back like an hour before you converted? Um, what would your future be like? But he's waited. You know, God has, he's waited with a purpose. He's been patient. And he's done it at his timing. I think humility goes with patience here then because I'm saying, just like God has waited with me in so many ways and has loved me throughout, I'm gonna wait with you. And I can't be prideful about it. I can't have you on my timetable. You know when you wanna change people? Anybody ever try that mess? Okay, and you wanted them to change yesterday? And that is not the timetable they are on, evidently. <laughs> and so humility goes, you know what? I'm not even in control of this. They don't, don't go too far. You still wanna influence it. You're a part of their lives. Love faithfully, right? Speak the truth in love, all that stuff. I'm not talking about apathy here at all. It's not in this passage. But a humble patience with people. Loving them where they are. Put it on. So humility, humble gentleness, humble patience, and then bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. There are some things in our lives we never have to bear with, like your favorite team winning the championship, going out for your favorite dinner. Nobody ever talks that way, right? Bear with me, I'm just making your favorite tonight. In what context do you have to bear with something? When it's tough, bear with me, this dinner tastes terrible. But that's all we have tonight, you know? We're eating this mess. Bear with me. It's an endurance with a purpose, a faithful endurance maybe. And who are we to bear with in this context? One another. Back to the gospel, does, does God bear with you? If God was like you, would God ever be annoyed with you? Oh my word. He bears with me, doesn't he stick with you? And love you still? Bear with one another. And man, this just hits like a modern kind of Western American Christianity in the nose. Scholars say, um, scholars call kind of broad movements of Christianity consumer Christianity. You know, so it's like if you go to a business for a certain product, if you like them, you keep going to them. If they're no good, you leave and go to a different business. By the way, that's fine for car parts, okay? But then we apply that to church, and somebody goes, oh, I went to church once and people were mean there. Listen, I've been there, it hurts, it's terrible. It is terrible, it hurts very, very bad. But if that's a logic for you leaving a group of people, I don't think you quite swallowed the gospel. Don't get me wrong, there are good reasons to leave churches, absolutely. There have been good reasons for people to leave this church, so don't get me wrong. But when the locust or the, the crisis for leaving church is there happen to be a sinner at the church? <laughs> and then you go, oh, I can't stay there anymore. Do you see? Bear with one another. Why? That's what Jesus does for you. So we actually get to live out his character in the difficulty. Isn't that amazing? It takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility. Pride, you'll bear with people not very long. 
Humility, amazed by how Jesus bears with you, you'll have more oomph to stick it through. Okay? So kindness, first category. Humility, second category. Third one gets its own forgiveness. Forgiveness. I appreciate Paul's language here. What does he say? Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another. <laughs> Do you ever have a list of complaints against somebody? No? <laughs> Liars, right? <laughs> yes, a list of complaints. Sometimes they're explicit and they shoot out of your mouth. And sometimes it's just written on the sideline of your heart somewhere. They didn't say it right. They didn't do it right. They didn't approach me right. They didn't whatever. I'm not even saying your list of complaints isn't even true. It probably is. And shockingly, I know this is gonna really shock you, somebody might have a list of complaints against you. I know. So if you have a complaint against somebody else, what are you supposed to do? Somebody tell me so you just don't think I'm making this up. You're supposed to forgive. You're supposed to forgive. What does it mean to forgive? Sometimes people think forgiveness means you're gonna say, oh, it wasn't a bad thing that they did. That is not what forgiveness means. It's not what it means at all. Uh, anytime, anybody, some, anytime anyone sins, there's something broken. Something is broken and there's a loss. I really like uh, Tim Keller's illustration. He uses a lamp, okay, real simple. I go to your house, you have this lamp that you love. It's like a cat lamp or something, okay? And I'm telling a story and I bump it with my elbow. You know, it's that slow motion moment, the cat lamp. Okay, and I broke your lamp. It's broken and now there's a cost and somebody pays it. You can't get away from paying it. There's, it's broken and there is a cost. So either I'm gonna pay it somehow by getting you another, you know, get on eBay and find another cat lamp for you. But I gotta pay it or you're gonna pay it. You're either gonna buy another lamp or you're gonna go without the lamp. And there's still a cost. There's a cost. And forgiveness says, I don't need you to pay for it anymore. I'll take the cost. I'll forgive it. I'll let it go. I won't hold it against you. I won't look for atonement on your part anymore. I won't demand that. I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna act like it didn't happen as far as my heart attitude toward give. This is one of these things we need to marinate in because some people you're gonna have to forgive 10,000 times because what they did still hurts. Some people are on my list to pray for, to forgive. Because <laughs> otherwise, the, you ever had this happen? The bitterness will come back. You gotta forgive them again. You're like, I thought I handled this. <laughs> Keep forgiving. And look at the extent to make it a little more painful. How should you forgive them? As the Lord has forgiven you. Now, if you're a Christian, you're banking on something. Me too. What are you banking on? God has totally forgiven me of all my sins. In fact, even if he just like, even if he said, you know, hey, I forgave you of every single sin except one, that's gonna ruin your day, right? It's gonna ruin your eternity. He has to forgive as people who've been forgiven. 
Forgive. Forgive. And how do you do it? Can you forgive just because you should? You know, should I yell at you, throw the water bottle? Forgive, you pagan sinners. Would that actually move you towards real forgiveness? Where do you actually find the power to forgive? I've sinned more than that person has against God. My sin against God is worse than that person's sin against me. God has forgiven me. Therefore, I can forgive. Last one, put on love. We could go on and on, I won't. Verse 14, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You ever try to define love like this? Try this one on. Joy in giving yourself for the good of others. Joy in giving yourself for the good of others. There's a million ways to love. But above all, put it on. Wear love. And again, the gospel. Has God loved you? (sighs) Right? Unreal. Put on love. And then I love the... If you want to do the English or the Greek, I really like the illustration. The Greek has like, it binds everything together like the ligaments. So you're, this is connected to this with the the bindings of the ligaments. That's like love for a community. If we don't have love, it won't last. Okay? Or in English, they give harmony. I love that one too. Two notes can conflict. But when you got two notes that complement so well together, beauty. Love is like that. All right, so how do we get peace in our community? Number one, remember, so let me make you feel good that you remember the first point. Remember who you are, thank you. Remember who you are. Second, remember what to wear. Kindness, humility, forgiveness, love. Last one, look to the leader. Look at verses 15 to 17. 15 to 17, just kind of let your eyes go over it. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell. Verse 17. Do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And then sprinkled throughout it's thank God through Christ. Word of Christ. Name of Christ. Thank God through Christ. Do you get the idea he's dragging your eyes somewhere? Where does he want you to look? The source of peace. It's the lordship of Jesus. The lordship of Jesus, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Modern world struggles with this. How can you have peace and a king at the same time? The right king. If he's king in your heart, that means you're submitted to him. And what does Jesus want for community? Christian community, church, family, relationships. What does he want? He's told you what he wants. He wants peace, right? He wants peace. He is your peace with God. He is your peace with one another. He wants it. Let it rule. What a funny way to use language. Kings already rule. Yeah, but what about your heart? Are you letting him be king in your heart in this moment when peace is hard to find? Let it rule. Submit to him as your king. Kindness, humility, forgiveness, love. Were those like suggestions for when you're really feeling spiritual? When you feel like it, forgive one another, unless they were really bad. Otherwise, make them pay, man. Make them pay. No, forgive one another. What if I don't want to? 
remember who you are and forgive one another. What if I don't want to? Jesus is your Lord. Forgive one another. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So when you feel the temperature going up, when you feel the words, right, coming, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's king. We're gonna work for peace. How do we do that? We'll look back up what to wear. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm gonna have to summarize this idea. Verse 16, let the, but, but you see it. The word of Christ, he's talking about, I think it's talking about the scriptures pointing to Christ. Everything in the Bible about Christ. That's the way we read the Bible. Let it dwell in you richly. Now, do you think that's individual or community? Trick question. Try doing it as a community if you don't do it as individuals. That's gonna be tough. But it shouldn't just be individuals. Let the word dwell in you as a community. So there's all these ways. It's, it's like blood through the body. Teaching, admonishing sometimes. With wisdom, though. Singing. Hey, did y'all know you were told to sing to Jesus? I just want to bring that up again. You're told to sing to Jesus. Psalms and hymns, with, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, when it comes to peace, the world's version of peace sounds like tolerance. Which, maybe that's okay in some relationships, right? You do what you do, I'll leave you alone. I'll do what I do, you leave me alone. Maybe that's okay in some settings. That is not church peace, right? Because what were we just told to do? Teach and admonish one another. So peace isn't just you go your way and I'll go mine and we'll look the other way when we don't like it. Maybe that's good for politics at Thanksgiving dinner. That's not church community. I actually want you to change to be more like Jesus and you should want that for me, yeah? But we do that with peace. Let the word of Christ dwell. Let the name of Christ define you. What should you do everything in? The name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? You gotta put like a bumper sticker on everything you make. When you say anything, you're like, in Jesus' name. You gotta only wear Christian t-shirts. No, 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 no. What does it mean? It means you realize you represent him and you want him to be pleased with everything that's coming out of you. You want him to be pleased with your mind, your mouth, your deeds, because you want to do it in the name. You want, to be, you want it to be something he'd be pleased with and proud of in the way you're living, because you represent him. And we think of peace again. How does it look to the world when Christians are jerks to each other? How does it look? Does anybody want Jesus when Christians are mean to each other? Why is it important that we foster this peace in our community so that they can see who he is in his love, right? Let, it, let, the word, let the name of Christ dominate everything. And then the last point, did you notice something sprinkled through? Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which you were called and be what? Thankful, look at the end of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, etc. With thankfulness in your heart to God, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Any, are you seeing a theme? Gratitude. Put on gratitude. Think about the good things we have as a gift from God. And what this reminds us of 
is, uh, hey, thank God in, in so many ways we do enjoy peace at Fountain of Life, right? Praise God in so many ways. In so many ways, we have peace in our relationships. We could do more for sure, for sure. We're like the Colossians. But thank God, because what we see here is that every single time, peace is a gift. It's a gift. The reason you're always thanking God for it, number one, it's good for you to remind yourself to be thankful. But on the second level, it's anytime you have it, Jesus gave it. We can't do this by ourselves. I have so many friends, so many pastor friends, so many other, there's so many church communities just struggling on fire with division, with a brokenness. Work for peace, and anytime there's peace, what do we say? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being our peace. All right, we can't control the world outside, but we have something to bring into our communities, right? We can have more peace, why? Remember the rock that causes the ripple. Jesus, remember who you are. Who are you in Christ? Marinate on it. Chosen, holy, loved. Grab onto that. Then because of who you are, remember what to wear. Jesus' character. Kindness, humility, forgiveness, love. And look to the leader. He's the source. He's the authority for peace. Do you have something to work on this week, this month? Did you write it down? Let's pursue peace. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.